I love it. Yeah. I love it. I oversource articles. Hello, everyone who is watching. Uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, lovely to see people already waiting, which is awesome. And I am just going to share this to say that we've gone live, and then we will get stuck. Oh, Twitter's dying. <laughs> oh, <Whoa. my God. laughs> okay. We're entering a new day. We're entering a new day. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's a brave new world, isn't it? Um, mm. Yeah, I will... Like we're speaking now, and like I'd I'd plan to talk to you basically exclusively about um sort of WEF um World Economic Forum Klaus Schwab kind of stuff because that's I'd been looking for someone to talk to me about this for a while. Mm -hmm. but I, I well I can I, you know I can I can really I can really go um as as deep as you want, but mm -hmm. I can also really generalize. I know these subjects really well. Um, I think the points are really obvious. The points that we've got to you know that have got to come across are really obvious within uh, the work but whatever you want to ask ask i like i like i like i like a little challenge that's all right <laughs> um i mean we'll, we'll maybe we'll leave sure we'll leave what's happening with russia um for i'm sure we'll get to that at some point uh, yep. uh during during this conversation but why don't we start with who the fuck is klaus schwab like who is this guy like because i had never heard of him ever until march 2020 basically maybe even after that maybe it wasn't until the the book the the great reset came out in I think it was july june or july um mm -hmm. amazing that they can turn around a whole book in four months you know it's just yeah it's yeah stunning. yeah yeah write the whole it's thing edit it it's amazing know? it's amazing how they could turn around the proximal origin of SARS-CoV-2 paper in 10 days I mean really <laughs> when they want to put their mind to something these guys are really good at it yeah I mean I'm looking forward to having Charlie Markson on the show to talk more about the yeah the 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 genetics and virusy sort of things but mm -hmm. yeah so so let's yeah let's start with klaus schwab so like who is klaus schwab and where the fuck did this emperor palpatine come from okay i gotta tell you something um i'm not going to tell you all the details in the next one but there will be a next article i wrote i wrote an article which some of your uh listeners and viewers may read and may like to read called schwab family values and that was um uh, uh in-depth research uh, uh investigative article that i was given loads of time on for by a whitney webb for unlimited hangout to come up with the family history of klaus schwab and where he come from um and within that article i made uh probably three major discoveries but there are plenty plenty more discoveries to come and uh, something that I came across, I, I've been I've been um, researching some of the darkest and most wealthiest people now, um, basically on an over part time now full time basis for say five, six, seven years. Um, before that, it was kind of a hobby um, that I just couldn't help delving in and looking into the archives and seeing what was going on, you know. And um, I, I found that once. I realized that, you know, there was all of this abundance of information and no one's covering it. Um, 
you know, that became a really interesting point for me to say it's time to tackle the family histories of the wealthy and the rich and famous that are hidden. And I started my journey off um, before the election between Theresa May and Corbyn, where Theresa May and the Conservatives lost their majority. Um, And I started off uh, there with um, a look. Well, I actually started off with Laura Koonsberg um, because I was at one point I was in the paradigm. I was in the left-right paradigm completely. Um, I, I, I had, I hadn't been before. It was a really weird journey I went on. I was brought up by a dad who was an Allied Steel and Wire worker. He would uh, march along Arthur Scargill and the socialists. Uh, they would be fighting for their jobs. I was from South Wales. Our whole way of life in our community, and it, honestly, it'll bring tears to my eyes if I go into it. Um, from the moment I was born in like 1980, but before that, had been completely and utterly under attack. Um, coal mining cannot be uh, uh, under underestimated the uh, the amount of, of of work that that gave to South Wales, the amount of of people who depended on that, and they didn't they didn't slowly wind it down. Government subsidies, ideas of how to replace an industry, they destroyed it. They they just completely and utterly destroyed it. And I went then went through this this point where it was like, oh well, obviously Neil Kinnock. When I was a kid, Neil Kinnock will be the one who will get us out. And then we're watching like you know Margaret Thatcher's the puppet and spit an image she is the puppet yeah. you know uh the whole conservatives at that time were I, you I, you grow up in this world where you're just getting bombarded and you start to think i'm this or i'm that and i believed for a while i was labor but i didn't like when i was 17 was when tony blair got into power and i you know i from that moment onwards i found what i found really fascinating was the reaction people had to the idea of politics changing and that idea because that was really you know things are going to get better time uh with with uh what's his face uh brian what's his face on the the keyboard uh, for dream um no no the the the, the scientist the the scientist oh, guy um, oh. brian cox um, yeah, Brian Cox, he was on the, the actual keyboard for Dereem. Uh, and, and, you know, it was like a brave new world, 997. This wonderful guy has come to power and it's wonderful. It's brilliant. And I really believed for, for a long time that I was Labour. So every time it came around to election, I went to vote Labour and then I was disgusted by something. and found I couldn't like vote. I, I'd vote in council elections. But when it came around to the major elections, I, you know, it was constant. It was constant. If it wasn't like um, sort of like interventionist wars happening, uh, it was it, it, like the post uh, foot and mouth disease and uh, September 11th that followed and Iraq war and all of that just really sealed my, my like I hated it. I, then Ed Miliband and uh, Ed Balls come along and uh, on the other uh, David Cameron, it's all horrible people. I just don't like them. I just, they're all fake. They're all, we all know they've been installed in some way, but we can't put our fingers on it then. And we're all really frustrated. And I went through this frustration with every, everybody else and I gave up I had given up a long time ago I'd given up in the early noughties on the idea that politics was any good and the more I looked into it the more I realized it was all fake um and that it was all like puppeteered etc and so I I had got to the point where I was out and my my housemate come home and he said hey you 
hey, have you heard about this Jeremy Corbyn fella? And I was like, oh, what about this Jeremy? But I wasn't actually. I was like, fuck off. Uh, it was my it was my first response. And then and then a couple of times actually realizing that he what he didn't seem like he was a paid off politician like the rest of them. And I, I saw the desperation again for people for change. I saw that same. That I I knew that that you know if that those people had their wish granted in some way, you know, we could all live back in the fantasy. We could all be back there. We can go back into the bubble. We can pretend. And then I saw the the attacks happen. So at the start of my writing career, I was like, oh, I'm fed up of this. So I'm going to go and look into Laura Koonsberg's on BBC. She's going, Corbyn all the time. And I'm like, I write, I, I want to support Corbyn in some way, but I want to do it proactively. So I'll go and find out about Laura Koonsberg, looked into her family history, discovered her grandfather was Eckerd von Koonsberg and went to a very elite, uh, prestigious um, school uh, in southern Germany in Uber which we'll get on to with Schwab, um, is o- also say, the same actually, place. Just very, very briefly for people, because uh, my audience is both uh, US and UK based. So Laura Kunzberg okay. is the BBC political editor. So she um, was like the, it's like the, it'd be like the head political commentator at CNN, basically. That would be the equivalent of it for just, just so people from the US get what we're talking about. And for people in the US to understand, there's a difference between how we see and perceive the job of CNN, as you would perceive it, to how we perceive the job of BBC, because BBC is supposed to be publicly funded. And we're supposed to see when you, I'll talk about that in a bit. <laughs> um, when you actually see what they do, there's a lack of impartiality, which is written within the actual um, foundation documents of the BBC, you must have impartiality. And obviously she wasn't impartial and she had uh, other things. Well, anyway, I found out her father was then went on to work in South America where he ran a sweatshop and uh, managed to stop any of the people who worked for his factories getting the newly installed workers' rights. And then he goes on and she, she, she becomes this uh, political editor for the BBC. And I found it really interesting here. History. I thought I'll do the same with Theresa May, did the same with Theresa May and found out her father worked with a serial killer called John Bodkin Adams in Eastbourne Hospital back in the 50s. He's one of the most famous serial killers of all of all time. He's like the Harold Shipman of his day. He killed over 130 people in the hospital by having them sign them into the, their well, sign him into their well as getting all the money. And then he'd given them a direction they'd die. That's as simple as it was. All provable, all purposely covered up by the establishment establishment and really you can even go back he didn't even do, I, I think he did maybe a little bit of time at like one year probation or something along those lines and he went back to being a doctor after about 10 years once uh, the fuss had died down but it was the start of the nhs and they didn't want the newly nhs founded nhs having such a controversy so they hushed hushed it and pushed it under the carpet her father was then he worked in the actual um chapel at eastbourne hospital so he would have been obviously given life rights to people who would die and 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 attending these things so he would have known him and then he gets installed in one of the most amazing areas near oxford in one of the best uh chapels and becomes like the uh, a, a, a priest for the elite establishment to an extent um and then of course theresa may's history goes on after that so i found that really interesting and then i looked into bill gates history and it was just a, a, a fantastic journey you go back to um uh, uh, uh one of um 
Bill Gates ancestors and you can't get any further. There was nothing about his history, like beyond uh, something like 1890 or something. That's about as, as far as you can go. And then I said, well, I can go further than that. I just went and discovered all of the gates that ever existed, basically. And and I looked through them all and found their connections and found their histories and found the ones that were actually related and discovered that it actually goes back further. It goes back to a guy called Israel Gates. And why would you not want Israel Gates to be known in the 1700s while he lived in Rhode Island when 90% of the slave trade went through America? And obviously, I can't say what he was doing at the time because I can't find out. But if you go back through his ancestors further, you go back to Jeffrey Gates, the third, sir, Jeffrey Gates, the third, second and first of the court of the Tudors, Henry VIII, uh, when his his uh, coffin was being um, uh, walked along um, at his funeral, Jeffrey Gates, the third direct ancestor of not only William H. Gates, the, this William H. Gates, the third that we know, Bill Gates, but also ancestor of George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush and Harry Truman, um, walked alongside the coffin of Henry VIII. They later decided to, to, to um, uh, uh, when Edward, I think it was the sixth or seventh, comes in after he's a child of Henry VIII and he's, he, he survives for like seven years before he dies. And then there's bloody Queen Mary's about to get the throne. Everybody panics, including Sir Geoffrey Gates III and his gang. <laughs> they go, no, let's him, let's get Jane Seymour in as quickly as possible. So mm. they try and install her as Queen of England. Then it doesn't work out well for them because the first day bloody Queen Mary is in charge of Britain, she has their heads chopped off. This is this is the history. The gates have to go into hiding. They they change their name to Giants and Gates because they're too busy involved in coups to try and get global world domination in some way, shape, or form. And Henry VIII um, Parliament, you think about it, is that like like or government, not Parliament, sorry, uh, government rule. Uh, Henry VIII's reign was one where he kind of like took back this power over Rome, like this massive globalist power. It's very similar to like this, this sort of like Brexit debate in the sense that we got today. So there's loads of crossovers and ideas of what happens in the past mm. that give us ideas of what the future are like. And so I found th that out about Gates. I found it spectacular. Okay, These right. People... Let's, 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 let's stop here for a second because, sorry, okay. you're saying a lot of things very fast and I, know. I have no doubt that like you've sourced <laughs> these things, but just for, yeah. for both for me and for the people listening, I just want to try and like slow down here just a second. And we'll, we'll... I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm excited because, right. you know. It's, it, to, to get to talk about these things, you have to understand, I also went through a massive censorship for three to four years, the past really four years, really heavy censorship, stuff that's um, people literally microtasking my name out of the, the websites, um, using all sorts of means, including solicitors and courts, to have my work hidden because of exactly this. I've got some of the really most terrible enemies, and it's only been really in the past uh, year that I've really been able to get my work out and I've really been able to talk with people. So I do get excited. Please That's ask all right, man. any question you want. That's right. So I just, uh, there's two things I, I, I want to like clarify. So 
before we get, go further, it's like, first off, um, I assume you have, like, I, I found the, the article that you'd written on Theresa May's uh, father mm-hmm. there and the serial killer there. But the all the stuff about the Gates family history, I assume that's yep. on your website and I can I can find that to put a link in. For there's people. a drop down. Yeah, there's a drop down menu on my website for investigations on Johnny. This is on johnnyvedmore.com. I got two sites because I got fungimonkey.com, which also does my media, is like my media base. Um, but on johnnyvedmore.com, yeah. you can have a drop down menu. You yeah. will find the Gates article ah, here there. It is. Lovely. I'm just yeah. going to, I'm going to pull this up actually for people here. Just again. And that is heavily I love, sourced. I love, I've gone yeah. through carefully the family history. Yeah. And I really wished I could find the actual um, d- work that, uh, that Israel Gates was doing in Rhode Island during the 1700s. I implore anybody with investigative um, skills at all to look into that. Maybe you can see it in a different way to me. Um, that would be fantastic. Okay. Well, like, yeah, there's a lot of information here, but basically I just wanted to pull this up for people to be like, right, look, if you're, if you're sitting there before you, you're like, hang on, I'm just going to turn off. This sounds like it's going to be the most insane. Uh, I know, podcast. I know, I know. I, I <laughs> but the, the, this is one of the problems with the uh, world of information nowadays. This is one of the problem we got is everything seems so insane because <laughs> lots of people have been held back from so much information for such a long time, and they've been sitting in those bubbles and they've been quite happy. And I understand it. I've been there too so many times. Uh, there was once upon a time where I would turn on BBC iPlayer every day to get my news and my information fed to me for a straw. I understand it and you've got once you're outside the bubble you realize there's a hell of a lot much more information and because the the mainstream media has been so controlled they've just stopped you from seeing nearly everything now (laughs) so you can't you you can't if you're an investigative independent journalist there's so many stories out there so many this it's like it's it's luxury for us you know and or every story is really important so it's a really amazing time to be on this side really sad time to look at the mainstream media media and what we always knew it would become i mean because because it's always been going that way um so a lot of people are going to find a lot of this information really hard to digest unless they understand that listen it's really simple people who are friends over a long time of families that stick together and people who have got in the same class system they all stick together yeah they're all they're all buddies and it's very much about yeah yeah, it's very much about a class system. It's very much about not the fact that it's only a small group of select families. Mm-hmm. It's a massive pool for them to choose from. Mm-hmm. It's an entire class of people that mm-hmm. all agree, basically, with the same aims mm-hmm. and have the same moralistic and ethical views given to them through these private public schools, whichever schools, you, 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 whichever side of the continent or whichever side, whichever continent you're on, you know, the, the, the paid for really, really... this These people get get trained to mm-hmm. be like this yeah. and they don't even know it yeah. and they, they're in a cycle mm-hmm. so there's this whole um, class system up above and these people are just selections of them who mm-hmm. are given really important uh, like funneling uh, they, they sit at the top of a funnel of control you know they, mm-hmm. they make sure that, that what goes through suits that class's agenda yeah. um, and because it fits their agenda too so it's about it becomes class and becomes linked with yeah. self preservation mm-hmm. in a world that's really really difficult to navigate mm-hmm. yeah and it all it all gets like wrapped up together and it's like um owen jones actually does a great job of defining this in his book the establishment um 
where they talk about this idea of the mediocracy. Um, it's where, uh, like, for example, the media all are, have become drawn from the same class of people and the same groups and the same schools and the same, like, circles. And then after a while, it becomes self-selecting because it doesn't matter that the, the people in the group might not think, hey, let's keep all the people who are, you know, slightly outside of this system out there. But they're thinking oh, well, you know, we don't want that person or they just don't fraternize with them because they've got, like, unacceptable views or they, you know, they just don't get on as well because they share a different worldview. And then it, it's it's self-perpetuating. It doesn't always have to be, like, someone actively attempting to in, entrench that class. Like, not that that's not happening in, yeah. in its own ways, but it, it doesn't always have to be crazy. Well, but yeah, like, right. Yeah. When you've got layers like that, and you've got a system like that, the people who understand they want to control the lower down systems and understand that the systems of control um, are already all of the, the, the tools to control are already in this class, because they are the ones who are writing the standard operating procedures of society, business of everything. They write in the rules to things, you know, mm-hmm. um, they, they know, then we can look at this area and we can select and pick to build up structures that mean yes you'll look at that entire class structure and say they're keeping us down but it's the people who have organized these people within and seen that truth Mm -hmm. that that the 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 elements all the elements to control society are in this one area and they've just got to pick from the best now this this reminds reminds me of a recent article i wrote welcome five uh about the welcome trust and they had one guy edward c holmes installed in oxford university uh with a welcome trust oxford project in 1994 recruiting the best graduates so like he had one was 35 recruiting the best graduates for their entire career these people would be funded for their entire career there's lots of this sort of stuff they look for the elites they look for the best and they say we're not going because you're the elites you're the best you're not going to get a job where you're going to get fired from yeah you're going to come and you're going to be one of us and you're going to be part of a system that's so much bigger than that little a system below you're entering into the control structures of the higher class system and that's it it's a controls and a lot of people um like us uh we've worked for these people without realizing it because they own everything mm-hmm. they have everything yeah they really and do own fucking everything don't they they do yeah and they do a very clever job on us they do a very clever job and it's something that i mentioned the other day to someone i worked in um big hotels for a lot of my life um uh night manager in a lot of hotels saw some crazy stuff uh often uh managing the front desk doing audits and stuff like this um uh, what were we what were we saying no, i got i've, I've got all the powerful people um owning lots of things yeah well they do something very clever when when you go into an opening hotel what you have is you have a selection of all the people who have been employed within the hotel who are going to write the standard operating procedures for the hotel mm-hmm. and they sit everybody down and what you discover you're in a room full of people and they say what rules should we implement and everybody goes oh what rules could be implemented Mm. And they all they, they people raise up their hand. Well, we shouldn't. We 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 should go uh, have a fifteen minute break. Oh, that's a really nice rule. Well done. Uh, we should um we we should make sure that um that, that people don't chuck litter on the floor. Oh, well done. Good rule. We're going to write that into the book as well. Um, we should make sure that someone doesn't get paid if they doesn't if they they, they don't turn up to work uh, for a reason that isn't like illness. Oh, yeah, all right. That's a really good one. And they write their own rules. 
People write their own rules. In society, it happens all over the place. We don't even see it. We elect people to write our rules, to write our own rules of society. And we don't watch what they're writing. We don't see the words they're using because it's all too complex. The writing of, of words and the, the actual organization of things is way too complex. But we are constantly in paradigms in society where we are offered by this other class. Here you go. This is all the power. What would you do with it? Okay, then that's what we'll do to you. Because they kind of they kind of let us sink into the idea that if this is the best thing for us, if we think this is the best thing for us, then it must be the best thing for us. Mm. So we hand over control of our society. Yeah. Which brings us nicely back to the original original point. We've meandered a little, but it's all right. Sorry. We've got no 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 man, it's all right. We've got time. It's good. Um good. so yeah. Klaus Schwab. Speaking of people attempting to exert control over the world without the people having a say, yeah, let's let's go. So, like, wh where did Klaus Schwab come from, and and what the fuck is the World Economic Forum? Basically, let's let's try and nail this down for people. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, Klaus Schwab is a very interesting man. Of course, he's head of one of the biggest globalist movements in the world, um, the World Economic Forum, which was originally called the European Management Symposium, and was um, was inspired. He was inspired to do it apparently by Henry. A. Kissinger, who you may know, people may know as being one of the biggest policy makers during the 1960s, especially around things like nuclear war and stuff like that. Um, now, the early life of Schwab was completely unknown. I, I mean, people are going to be discovering an article I wrote a year ago. Um, they've been discovering it all year, but it was uh, it, it's 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 a real it's a real interesting one. Um, it's possibly. Um, Schwab is uh, from a place called Schwabia, okay, Upper Schwabia. And people may think, oh, is he the king of Schwabia? And no, he isn't the king of Schwabia. He is basically a normal man. And his father was basically a normal man. And his grandfather was basically a normal man. And if we go back to the birth of his father, Eugen Schwab, back in 1899, uh, he was born to, um, I, be, I believe his name was Jakob Wilhelm Gottfried Schwab. Uh, Jakob being a very uh, um, a Jewish name, so he could have had a Jewish origin. But that kind of uh, is deleted out of uh, Klaus Schwab's ancestry because I think the times were hard. Gottfried Schwab had actually abandoned his German citizens, citizenship in about 1876 when there was a load of turmoil in Germany and gone to Switzerland, got married, and then tried to get his citizenship back later. Um, uh, this would be a reoccurring theme in the family as well. Uh, Eugen Schwab, who was born at that turn of the century, uh, would uh, grow up in a world, uh, in a Germany, of course, where you can imagine there was a bit of turmoil. Uh, as a young boy, he would have uh, experienced uh, world wars, and then, of course, all the financial problems and by the time he was a young man um he had he got married in the 1920s something that isn't known and I haven't actually written down is he got married in the 1920s uh, to a woman who was jewish and they had a baby um and uh, the half brother of klaus schwab uh, who they would eventually uh leave germany in 1938 of course uh running fleeing per persecution, um, but they got divorced before that time. 
and no one really knows that. So a lot of people uh, in the conspiracy world, <laughs> a lot of people think automatically because you can trace back that he was married to a Jewish lady, he must have deported her in 1938 and got a new um, wife. And I thought that as well, but he didn't. He didn't actually do that. He got married to this other lady uh, a, a long time, uh, uh, about 1936, 1935, I think it was. And then by 1938, um, his ex-wife moved over to America and she classifies herself as a Hebrew when she gets there as a citizenry because a lot of people were, were of course distancing themselves from the German and they were refugees at that point um, so the war yes the war. here we go Eugen Schwab, father of Klaus Schwab, Klaus Schwab would be born in 1938 just before the war started Eugen Schwab uh, worked for a very, very interesting company called Escher Weiss. And Escher Weiss was based in a place called Ravensburg in Upper Schwabia, um, which was just north of the Swiss border with Germany, down in the southwest of the country, towards where all of the rich and elites are, really. Um, he ran a very, very important factory for Escher Weiss, because Escher Weiss had two main centres. They had one in Ravensburg and one in Switzerland. It was originally a Swiss company. Um, in 1850s, 1860s, it was set up by a guy called Wal Walter Zuppinger, and originally they made like machines for things like lace and stuff and things like that. By the turn of the century, they were making massive turbines for or really big hydroelectric dams or etc you know and and ships and things like that enormous things and then by the time it came around to world war they were employed to make the heavy turbines for the turbines for um heavy water production that would allow for the nazis to make the atomic bomb in uh norway which they were with where their project were based so klaus schwab's father was the manager literally the top guy at this company which used slave labor um, to try and uh, get, uh, basically beat the allies to the atomic bomb uh, uh, within that effort. Now, it's really interesting. Ravensburg was protected by a Red Cross amnesty during the whole of the war. So this area wasn't actually affected by bombings or anything like that. They got left alone completely. And it seems like that maybe the allies like to have the enemy, the, the, the real, like, um, a penetratable target for their intelligence to get to see what the enemy is doing behind closed doors. And that because they knew what Ravensburg was doing, it was like, well, okay, don't bomb it and we'll get a couple of people in there. Now you've got to understand people like Alan Dulles and people had been working just across the border um, over in Switzerland for the previous 10 years and stuff in intelligence um, as a spy where everybody was going across the border and giving him intelligence. It's well known, it's documented as well. I mean, it, it, this was... Uh, an area that was rife with like the, the the what we see in a war is not all, all that's going on and the things that go on especially during world war ii tended to happen in switzerland the hidden hand stuff tended to happen in switzerland and that was very connected with this southern uberschwobia um that's why ravensburg was so protected i think uh but of course the um attempt to make the uh, first atomic bomb for Germany, which would have changed the war. There's no mm -hmm. doubt. If they had bombed London with an atomic bomb, yeah, the war over. would be over. Yeah. It is over. So it was the race to something that like a, a complete, like uh, our society was under threat. Our way of lives were, was completely at, uh, under threat. Um, 
this company, Escher Weiss, was a Nazi model company every uh, season, I believe. It might have been every year, but I believe it was every season. So every three, four months, they would produce a little, the Nazis, the propagandists in the Nazi party would produce a little pamphlet showing the Nazi model companies. And I think it was 1937, 1938, Escher Weiss was named as a Nazi model company. Um, the, the whole area was really a, a a really strong Nazi area, Nazi flags all over the place. They were very so. When once once the war ended, once the war ended, um, you'll you'll hear Klaus Schwab talk about him being a boy crossing over the borders. Um, once the war ended, like nineteen forty, in, in down there, the war really never started. You know, down there it was protected. Yeah. So 1944, 1945, Klaus Schwab would have been, what, six years old, five, six years old. And he talks about crossing over the borders and seeing the war on one side and not on the other side. And that is not true. And he was heavily protected because his father was uh, working for one of the most important Nazi model companies in the Third Reich. So um, that that so is, of saying, course, lied, something... lied about like going across the, the border, basically? I, I think when, and this is why I've discovered, and I've discovered this recently, when Klaus Schwab says something to you, he equivocates at the same time if there's something else to be found in it. Right. He, he'll he say something and then he'll say something alongside it. Um, lots of these guys do lots of elites. I'll give you an example as uh, Jeremy Farrar, the Welcome Trust, says that in a TED talk in 1994, by chance, I got an opportunity to go to Vietnam. But the by chance is he was recruited by an Oxford Welcome Trust program um, that was run by two people who were trying to reform the entire pharmaceutical industry undercover. Uh, so so you, you're talking like the truth is when they say something, when they equivocate, when they put an extra bit in a sentence, you can be sure there's something to be found there. You can be sure. That, and he Klaus Schwab does that a lot. Um, so when he says that, you know, I crossed over the border and I see there's a terror on one side and it's peace on the other, he's, he's, he's just lying. He's just lying to you. That's just not true. That was not his, that was not his, uh, his lived experience. What he saw and what he went on, what he would go on to do as a young man. Because, um, of course, you'd think, oh, well, his father would have gone to Nuremberg or something. But, of course, none of that happened. Everybody goes a bit quiet after the war, you know. Um, he would, as a young man, uh, a young teenager, help with the reconciliation efforts between the French and the Germans, explaining to the French why the Germans aren't so bad, <laughs> yet not probably mentioning that his father was the manager of an Adam, uh, a Nazi model company at the same time. You can imagine that he would have left out. Um, and he would go on to have a very successful little uh, uh, uh point of study uh, he he went to some really good universities ATH Zurich being um, one of them and in the um he got also a, apprenticeships to some big companies including an early apprenticeship to Escher Weiss uh, before he did a lot of his degrees, he did like about six months to a year in his dad's old company or dad's still company. Uh, his dad would eventually go off to form a trade uh, like a small trade union type uh, official trade union in the German region that seems very similar to a, like a really baby simple version of the World Economic Forum okay. if you look at it so that was quite in, that's quite interesting as well and the reason I was able to find who his father was and I'll, I, I'll explain more about Klaus Schwarzer but the reason why I was able to find 
uh, who Klaus Schwab's father and his mother and find the actual documented firsthand evidence that was really important to find was court documents that showed that in the 50s they were trying to flee Germany, um, get uh, Swiss nationality back and run off to Brazil. Um, so they Wait, were hang on, to go- hang on, say that again. So they were they were fleeing germany so they, they it were, seems they, like they were so they'd fled, they were they fled germany to switzerland like let me just clarify this so they fled germany mm-hmm. to switzerland during the war right or before the war no no they were living on both sides of the okay, border so they were living on i both mean sides. they were free they were free they there was no war for them okay so then, I, that's what i would say okay so then post-war then they have like given up their swiss citizenship that they acquired no 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 in in nineteen in the 1950s they try and go uh they 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 the family twice try and reacquire their swiss citizenship okay that had been uh, let uh, let up before okay. but re- and klaus schwab is still i don't think being given um uh a swiss i think he's still classed as a german i don't i i still think that that's like a bone of contention in the family history but this the one of the first links what, uh, one of the first links <laughs> Well, one of the first links in Klaus in the Klaus uh, the Schwab family values piece, one of the first links is the actual court document that'll explain um, the, the the family trying to get to Brazil. So it basically names all of the family, uh, including Klaus Martin Schwab, um, and explains they they just it doesn't give a reason why they don't want to hang around, but they want to get out of there. You know, yeah. they don't want to. They don't want to be in it. it obviously, it's it's not that far after the war, and he did work in a place that used slave labor. And you can imagine he was probably a little bit worried about the repercussions of that. But eventually, like I say, he set up a trade organization in the same place, and people like von Papin and stuff were back, allowed back into politics. Mm. So it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like it really mattered. Once it was the Nuremberg was over, it was like, oh, that's fine. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So. Um, so they so, so, said he got snubbed. Yeah, they like they like to say that, but that's partially because I think of something that I'm going to continue onto in a little bit. I think there's a reason why the Swiss don't want him as a citizen. I think there's a very big reason. One of them, I think, is the links to Escher Weiss. I think that is something they don't want in, in the history, but I don't think it's the main reason. I think the other reason is 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 uh, is much Christ. sorry I'm much so, more obvious. Sorry, I'm just reading some of this stuff about it. Like this is a Obviously, you, this is probably not news mm. to you, but like he holds seventeen so, yeah, honorary doctorates. Yeah. Like, who the fuck that's is giving? That's where him I this? was. <laughs> listen, listen. That's where I was uh, during during the the sixties. After he did, does a couple of little temp jobs, uh, uh, trying out stuff, he goes to universities and he starts picking up honors and degrees every six months. It's like it's a crazy. He's just given honors. He goes to somewhere for six months, he gets a degree. You know, this guy was being put into place. This guy guy was being put into place as being this wonderfully uh, intelligent figure and uh, from uh, from all of that those honors he would that would get him noticed by Henry Kissinger when he moved to Harvard because Klaus Schwab went to Harvard and Henry Kissinger was a professor at Harvard at the time and Klaus Schwab uh. famously says I attended a seminar but I remember blah, 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 blah. and uh, he attended a seminar with um, Henry Kissinger Henry Kissinger saw him straight away and was like brilliant you're my guy uh, He they became friends for their entire life uh, Henry Kissinger at the time was one of the biggest um, uh, Warhawks uh, uh, 
producers. Well, also producers of policy, of foreign policy. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, and all of those things, but also <laughs> producer of foreign policy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that was one of the main things that he was into at the time, and that was very important for him. This idea that they could have this like uh, um, ability to to uh, influence this new Europe that was coming out of the flames of fire, and Schwab was obviously the guy. So Schwab would go back with a lot of backing when he returned from Harvard mm-hmm. and he says he read two books that really inspired him to go and set up this new foundation. He would get a few friends together and they would they would form what would be the World Economic Forum. He would hire an assistant who he would later marry, Hilda Stahl, and it would be a love affair. And then the World Economic Forum would begin or the European Management Symposium. Um, and it's a very interesting like few years because they say you'll hear them say um and i i've had to go back myself recently to refresh myself on this period because i know i was saying to people it's 1973 but it's actually 1972 where certain speeches made because in 1971 you got the first world Econ- uh, um uh, the first world economic forum uh which is the european management symposium in 1972 they say klaus schwab says this is another example of him equivocating. He says, oh, 1972, it wasn't so successful. Um, we had some g- good uh, attendees. But 1973, we got going again. Now, ni- if you look at 1972, they had the Club of Rome come uh, along um, to give the keynote speech. And the guy from the Club of Rome who gave the keynote speech, I forget his extremely Italian name, though it's written in Klaus uh, Schwab Family Values article. Um, He was a man who basically said, the future is all about faking climate change to scare the shit out of people while killing them at the same time. That was it. They don't like you to go and examine 1972. So Klaus Schwab, that's an example of Klaus Schwab saying, oh, you know, we started in 1971. 1972 wasn't so good. 1973 was better. And then we started off from there. You know, he'll equivocate when he says something. He'll say something that then then say a little something to, to buffer it up. There's always something to be had within those moments where Klaus Schwab is excusing his actions to the public without saying what they are and without admitting guilt or anything like that or even you know you'd have to you have to know the context of who he was and where he was at the time and the understanding that he wasn't only when he was at harvard he wasn't only introduced to henry kissinger um there's a lot of interesting things at that time but i'm going into that in um the next piece which won't be out out too long and includes um a piece of information that i i came across in the past few days which i i i have to say is possibly the biggest thing that i've seen in a long time and explains a lot um there there is a lot you give us can you give us a hint or you would you rather just keep it as a secret (laughs) it's impossible to give you a hint but i can tell you that everybody afterwards and mark my words on this replay this if you want in a little clip mark my words everybody afterwards will go oh it's that obvious you think oh yeah so when when you plan to release this you're making me excited Um, it's got to be i i it's got to be within a a month um i've got to try within a month 
but that'll all come down to drafts and editing and it's really it's really for, for people who don't understand that process man it, it's uh, when you when you write an article you write it with passion and emotion and you say a load of things and they're all right but they're going to disconnect people uh, straight away from the article and then you have to rewrite the article with, with taking away with still the impotence of how you feel emotionally but without the emotions in there and then you've got to reform it to then actually be a readable article so you know there's a, a long process that goes through it and i don't want to get it wrong in this case for sure yeah um sorry i'm just sharing my screen here i'm not sure if this is actually it. Gonna, not actually oh it doesn't appear to be working on your um thing when i'm using it but oh actually hang on sorry apologies people who can't see this right now i'm gonna fix it this very second i can see it personally Yes, but I'm just trying to like make sure the screen comes up for some reason. It's uh okay. This is a uh, this is not going well. It's fine. Let's uh let's let's forget this. I was just gonna play for people um this uh what do you call it the penetrating the, penetrating the, the government speech. Yeah, that's basically what I wanted to play for people here. But um, it's this it's one. It's really. It's really interesting. Now, this is this is something that I think is really in, important to speak about the 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 current. I, I mean, I I I can take you up to there at the moment with Klaus Schwab. I yeah. can take you to the point where he's 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 got to that point. I I mean, the discoveries I made in Schwab Family Values was his father worked for a Nazi model company. Oh oh no, there is a little bit more because Klaus Schwab would go back in the late 60s after Harvard, mm -hmm. after being taught by Kissinger. Okay. And he would go work for Escher Weiss in the merger of Escher Weiss and Schulze AG. This is very important. Okay. And that merger, out of the merger would come Schulze AG, nay, with Klaus at the second in top, being responsible for the entire merger would help the south african regime gain illegal nuclear weapons so understand his yes and that is no that that is no under uh, you know that is underreported in the sense that the swiss did uh, uh um, an inquiry into it and showed uh by all the evidence showed that that schulzer ag and other companies had helped us the, uh, the the um uh, south africans from the time that Schwab took over with the merger, gain nuclear weapons by first uh, giving them hydro, uh, supplying them with the hydro uh, big turbine technology so they could use heavy water in their experiments and South African experiments. But when they realized that wasn't going to fail, uh, that wasn't going to succeed, they went different ways to create a nuclear weapon and they helped South Africa gain the nuke. He did exactly the same as his father did walked exactly the same line with exactly the same company that he had just reformed to look like another company understand that the agenda given by people like henry kissinger behind the bomb uh, that that went with klaus schwab he's a technocrat and one of the biggest technologies of that era and the birth of his career was thermonuclear war mm. that's what it is thermonuclear war yeah. that's the birth of klaus schwab that's yeah. 
who Klaus Schwab is. That's who his father was. I wouldn't be surprised if that's who his granddad was, but the technology wasn't around at the time to make a, 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 a nuke. I would be surprised if he was making garages in his grenades, uh, grenades in his garage, sorry. Uh, <laughs> the, the fact is, is that these men do follow a line. So that's really where I can take you up to on the Schwab story, yeah. is the fact that he continued in his father's footsteps. This isn't like a very, this isn't a small thing. This is this is the person who would then be in charge, become in charge of the biggest globalist effort to create policy in a Kissinger-like manner, in a Kissinger style that will then be incorporated, like when you write standard operating procedures all together in a room over the whole of Europe and then eventually the globe. Mm -hmm. And you'll find that a lot of these policies and a lot of the things they're writing up will overlap with the Chinese model as well. And all of these things are becoming this one world government where there will be free blocks. Uh, there will be an Anglo-American uh, block, mm -hmm. which will include Canada, Australia, um, South Africa, New Zealand. There will be a, a European, large European block, and there yes. will be a Russian-China block. Yes. And those free right. blocks will Eurasia. scare each other Eurasia. enough. Yeah? Eurasia, um, East Asia, is it Eurasia, East Asia, and and is it, oh, what's the third one? I need to look this up. After <laughs> I'm I'm flubbing my my 1984 knowledge here. This is bad. Yeah, and <laughs> and why was 1980? Why did he write it in 1984? Because in 19 the early 1920s, it was people like the Rhodes Trust and stuff who were writing up about how these free blocks need to be uh, created to control the world. Um, I, I mean, this is just basic sort of like ruling the world stuff, I suppose. But you have to basically make everybody afraid of this big entity over there and it's got to be big enough if there's enough of you you're like not scared on a nation state level it's like no longer scary that's why it's it's really hard oh ukraine and russia are fighting oh, oh what a surprise bloody blah, blah fighting oh what a surprise they got to make it bigger than that though yeah. They got to make it massive block over here could fight it could come to war with massive block over there because you should see I, I I'm seeing it over today I'm seeing how people change completely in their perspective of what's real and what's not as soon as they have the pressure or fear of war upon them so I heard one person who said something about the fact that oh this is all like a manufactured effort both sides the same and someone being like oh my god someone who's really nice saying oh my god I can't believe you think of it like that because they've automatically had to take one of the sides mm -hmm. that have been given to them either the ukraine uh, the russian side or the ukrainian dash pro europe right dash pro the globe side and you have to take up one of those sides if you take either of those sides you're in the wrong place you're in the wrong place instantly you've got to be with the people who are going to be caught up in the middle and you've got to be fighting for another solution that isn't one side fighting with the other and those two sides are fighting with each other so we you know that whole system as well you talk about that within a, uh, a world economic forum yes uh, yes this paradigm. is right sorry this is where i was going with this so so let's let's like clarify where we've what we've we've said so far and then we can we can move on to the world economic forum themselves okay so so basically um what you're saying is that klaus schwab was this uh child of uh, a family with a long lineage of being um in the upper classes the aristocracy of europe throughout the the yeah the 
1500, 1600s, maybe? No, 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 no. Klaus Schwab, I didn't go back that far with Klaus Schwab. I went back to the 1870s, I think, early with Schwab family. And they're not really part of the elite until afterwards. They're just trusted with a role. I think he was just, you know, his father was very much like him, him? a technocrat. But like, like, right, you said, like, uh, this is the part that I don't get, right? This guy is not, doesn't seem particularly impressive. Doesn't seem like he's fraught. He's not got the legacy, say, that you were discussing with like Bill Gates or 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 that kind of like long family family wealth and and yeah status. And 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 oh. he's come in. He's got he's going to all of these universities. He's got seventeen doctorates, and all of a sudden he's setting up this thing, the World Economic Forum, in nineteen seventy one, which I find particularly interesting, given that that's when we came off the gold standard. Um. Or at least America came off the goals. I'm sure, pretty sure Britain came off in 71 or 72 as well. Um, I'll have to check that. But so, yeah, so we, we've got this guy and he sets up this program with, with, the, with the goal of what? Like, what are they trying to do? And why is this guy, like, what is it that makes, like, Henry Kissinger has gone, this guy. It's not, it's not like he's a Clinton or a Kennedy or a Bush or, you know, like, why this he's, guy? He is perfect because the Americans... And the establishment in general that were uh, um, really propagating the control at the time and were, were putting people into positions, installing people into positions, need to have someone who's dislocated from them, so far removed from them, who's willing to do the job. And to find that is nearly impossible. So what they do is they go around to big universities and they recruit the best they can and they see who's malleable at these little seminars and these little conferences. And he is perfect. Number one, his father worked for the establishment, even when he shouldn't work for the establishment schwab had uh, had obviously um, a given job in this very powerful firm because uh, one of the things that happened with uh schultz at escher vice is that it nearly went bust or escher vice originally it nearly went bust over and over again through the 20s and the 30s and kept getting saved but in the 30s something very interesting happened it got saved by a collection of swiss banks and uh military people people who would be in the military eventually and they started to change that's when escher vice kind of sort of changed its way so i think he was already within kind of linked within the intelligence establishment and after operation paperclip who are they going to want to be speaking to who are they going to be interviewing through all of the years that went on because as soon as the 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 allies got into those areas i from my own research in history they went every single point that interested them and every single point that interested them was death viruses uh bombs mm-hmm. uh guns weaponry new technology anything that can yeah, change yeah. a game um yeah, chemical weapons, biological weapons, anything that they can find out that can help them increase their capabilities in the future to beat this major threat or potential threats like these um, is what they suck up. So who are they going to want to speak to when they're looking at the Nazi nuclear program? Who will they want to speak to? Who will the Americans send to speak to? Who will they find important? But the people who actually worked on the ground organizing this effort and keeping all of the records, because these guys in Escher Weiss, to create these heavy water projects and stuff, they would have had to have a financial, um, a, a substantial an, a, amount of information um, a, about these turbine technology, how 
it works and how all of this sort of interacts with everything. The the amount of information would be massive. And he was obviously the top of the information. So I think he'd already had links with the establishment in some way. And because of his works in efforts, and I think he was working probably for a foundation, a trust, something like this. I haven't got to that yet. So I'll, I'll find out that eventually uh, when he was doing his efforts of reconciliation across borders. I think he was probably already making a name for himself as like being a bit of a diplomat like people do but he was a technocrat and all of these guys like Kissinger and people saw that he was had their vision their vision was very much bigger than most of the people at the time um, a lot of the people who who were within Kissinger's circle were talking about the threat of thermonuclear war that's mm. where they were that's where they were so someone who had a position already um already as a, a trainee uh, whose father had worked at the company and would go back afterwards to a company that would be dealing with such stuff. It seems obvious that's why he would be chosen. He's got the same. And and then and then it was obvious that he was one of them. He got accepted very much into the group, which I'll go into in my next article. Um, and it, 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 there is there is a point where where Klaus Schwab is just uh, supported to flourish uh, on the as a global European strain of whatever this mind virus these people have. <laughs> That's the best way of describing it because he was perfect for their job. And then if you look at the, the early, um, uh, like the first reports I can find about Klaus Schwab in British newspapers would be about like 1970 where they're announcing this U European management symposium and stuff. And Klaus Schwab shouting and barking about things. You know, he's a, he, he obviously hasn't found his, like with the press, he's like, Rah, 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 rah. With, with normal people he's like oh I'm, I'm a friendly person and it's a very like elite manner he has already he changes that persona over time and of course later on he's involved with things like CERN and stuff like this no um, way really Yes, oh, yes, wait. Like heavily I, involved. I, you know, sometimes like I just you know, there's there's like there's part of my brain that goes like, come on, Josh, you know, these these things are all just you, you know, it's all very like part of my brain wants to say, No, this guy Johnny, he's just spit spitting out absolute trash, right? Yeah. And, you you can then, follow the snake, man. You can yeah. follow the snake. It's connected. The, the same the places and the same things and the same stuff keeps like popping up and like it's it's like I don't even know what to do with the information sometimes. It's like no but it's it's like I can I can see something and go well okay that's happening but like what does that mean? Like it happens to me a lot in and obviously this is not quite the same but it happens to me a lot when I'm looking at, at uh, so I'm writing a book about GameStop and the whole thing that blew up around that at the minute. Mm -hmm. So um like I'm looking at say like the prices uh, in the stock market and like I'll have someone like I'll people will point out just like weird things that are happening with like a stock or like weird numbers indicating something or like and I'm like look that I agree this is weird right and I I but I don't know like I I it's a, a like a, an anomaly or like a red flag or whatever but I don't know what to do with the information like this is the, the problem I have I think with with the World Economic Forum stuff a lot of the time it's just like look it's like, I can see them writing and saying all these things that we're, I'm sure we're going to get to here in a minute, but like the digital currency and, you know, central ID and all, all these sorts of ideas. And I'm like, okay, I see that. And I see that that's the thing that you're advocating for. Or I see that you're suddenly in, in like, there's suddenly weird links that people will point out between like, say, like, like the trilateral commission and like things like that, you know? 
uh, yeah, the World Economic Forum, uh, World Health Organization. Like, you know, there's always these links to be drawn. And like half the time I'm like, man, like I really wish it was a coincidence because that would just make it way easier to all dismiss everything, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I listen. I really understand. I really understand because I'm also trying to be a serious journalist at the same time. You know, know, I same same here. I (laughs) I go through. I go through my. I I do a very. Um, I I found a very special place for myself where I look for the things that aren't being looked at and obviously there. But that takes a lot of thinking. Um, beforehand, sometimes I don't realize where I should look for something for months and months and months, and then I go, Oh my God! Of course. Why haven't I thought about that? And you just discover all the information there because a lot of it, and this is really important. I think this is this is something that loads of people miss is that people hear a story, but they don't understand the context of all the stories. They don't understand the context of the events. And it's really hard because we watch all this stuff and it's so Im- impossible to imagine what we can do about these elites in Davos uh, or the people running the country and the people installed in governments by these people. Um, you know, it's really hard to, to work out because really at the end of the day, what they're going towards is a point of destruction, self-destruction. You know, um, they, they they seem like uh, they're the example of humans that hate themselves or as humans, and they want to see the end of, of whatever we've got here. And, you know, there's a really interesting thing that I find that I think all of this comes from. And I think really understanding the context of why everybody's in panic at the moment, why all of this stuff is happening, is that there's a, there's a fairly um, agreed upon uh idea of what's going to happen with population in the future and i'm not talking about with them manipulating population but all of them both scientists all scientists on all sides say the same thing the population will reach about nine billion and it will just drop off and fall rapidly and it'll be like in a sense with the virus with the r number where there's not enough people having birth so the next generation will be really small and smaller and smaller until there's an ex there's probably an existential crisis in humanity tribal sort of thing all sorts of things could happen but you know it's it's an apocalyptic style event and you know we're at seven and a half billion approaching eight billion and i think all of the people these people in the world have kind of like who, who know about stuff have these sort of ideas fundamentally rolling around their brain as fact and as they get closer as it gets closer i feel it comes out in the the like collective consciousness in ways that it almost tries to make it happen so i feel that a lot of what they do is like a focus on population control things like this but at the end of the day if you just play out how it's naturally going to go in a bit population will drop off anyway so why would you want to do that and it doesn't make any sense because none of it's really about that it's always been about rich guys keeping control of the people who are working for them i, I mean we really got to understand the class struggle of rich versus poor is basically the only struggle that ever matters yeah the rest of them i mean you, you come from a place where you know the struggles on the streets and you know a divide society divided completely like divided by two hard to see completely visually um amongst who is who unless you live amongst uh, the people but but from the outside it looks like crazy to most people yeah those divisions (laughs) those divisions aren't about the things involved in the the actual people involved in it those are, are things that come from a much higher idea at the top 
bought and put on by people to divide each other so they can't live in peace so that they can keep control because the constant theme throughout all humanity is rich men causing trouble in society so that they can keep control and we are entering a point where this has become open now it's like open season for it so as we approach another war which has been completely manufactured where both Sit both like uh, leaders basically sit on the same agenda, focusing on the same thing and looking for the same thing. We've got to, I'll say this really briefly, as quickly as I can, but you know, this world economic forum young global leader mm-hmm. business is exposing something that I don't think anybody's really ready for understanding because that project, I I mean, when I talk about world economic forum being created in 1971, I've said this before, it's like the seventies was a kind of like bringing all of these powerful people together making it a project that could actually have a possible, I think 1983 signified a change in, in um, like a celebration of them where they feel like they have got to the point of that and they're planning setting down policy of how to, install all of their people into power and then in 1992 they start the young global leader project and by the late 90s they're installing people into power so then uh, you've got tony blair who's the first of the young global leaders in britain to be installed into power and he's what opposed by william hague who's one of the world economic forum young global leaders and then you have michael howard i think it is who's an opposition for a tiny bit yeah. uh, and disappears again and then you've got cameron who's a world economic forum young global leader and eventually when Tony Blair steps aside for Gordon Brown well he's a world economic forum young global leader and eventually he fails gets taken over by Ed Miliband and Ed Balls who are both world economic forum young global leaders on the other side Cameron would eventually be taken over by Theresa May who just fits in with the agenda I think I don't think she's young in any way Uh, (laughs) and she wasn't a very good global leader and on the other side of course Jeremy Corbyn was scared to crap out of the entire system <laughs> and apparently i've, I've heard never today that, that boris johnson was also a world economic forum young global leader yes, yes, so yes, for yes. the past over 20 years over 20 years of british history we've been ruled by world economic forum young global leaders who have been given their identity agenda and policies policies mm-hmm. policies mm-hmm. or that's what the whole point of the world economic forum is to install their policies they have written and designed into government and that's what they did they did it all throughout britain from what may march 2nd or may 2nd 1997 with things can only get better and and, and, and bloody tony blair waving with sherry on the yeah, yeah, stage yeah, yeah. walking through we all remember it perfectly oh. well starting with that that's the world economics forum installation of power and then the world has been completely and utterly uh, uh infiltrated by all of the governments around the world have been infiltrated in some way shape or form but the leaders are the best to recognize because at the same time you've got cameron and tony blair and gordon brown you've got sarkozy over in france who's world economic forum young global leader followed by macron who's the world, world economic, economic forum, forum young global leader Angela Merkel, World Economic Forum, Young Global Leader. Justin Trudeau, World Economic Forum, Young Global Leader. Jacinda Ardern. 
Vladimir Putin, World Economic Forum, Young Global Leader. The two sides you're supporting are the same side. Boris Johnson, World Economic Forum, Young Global Leader, said something on TV about how terrible the war is that is perpetrated by another World Economic Forum, Young Global Leader. Well, all the other World Economic Forum, Young Global Leaders all come out going, yes, weird. That's terrible, World Economic Forum, Young Global Leader number 79. Yes, it is World Economic Forum, Young Global Leader number 62. I think it's terrible what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> this is the society we have created. This is the society we live in. This is our reality now. We have been taken over by the globalists, at least in Britain, for over 20 years. And it is done. Like, we are done. We are done. And it really makes kind sense. Kind of exciting, right? About this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're now in a place, it's kind of exciting. It, it means we've got to take the battle to the doorstep of power wherever we are. In, in every, um, just to, yes. Yeah, yeah. Because because I, I do police auditing as well. So I go around with a camera now every time the, the police, uh, I, I see the police, I pull out my camera and I see if they hurt my rights. They see if they try and infringe my rights. And I also tell them off when they do things wrong, oh. um, <laughs> which I like. But also, I go out every day and I talk to people, and I really mean this. I walk around and I talk to everybody I can, and I talk to them like a human. I treat them with respect. And you know what? I don't have to go around and preach all my beliefs to people because people are already asking the questions and they're desperate for the knowledge. And they ask me things, and I tell them what I can. I, I tell them what I can know, and then I ask them things, and I learn from them, and I give them respect, and backwards and forwards until you know your community and then i tell you what your community once it's together can find other ways together a, a group of people who all know each other can find ways around globalist control because they're all the way over there it's an illusion that they're actually in in charge and yeah. they will use these massive scary blocks of countries having wars with each other to keep us like it, it hits into our our brain our, our, our underlying lizard brain or whatever they call it um that that fundamentally says fear i gotta protect myself i gotta take a side and that's what they want they make you take a side every time the covid narrative is blowing up in their face and suddenly war starts and we all predict everybody who knows their game plan predicts it but this is a war but going to be a war between a load of world economic forum leaders versus another world economic forum leader so this is not really a war this is a world economic forum theater performance for the entire world um always devilish always a little bit looking uh, a little bit religiously uh, uh slanted to evil like they like to do something like that they'll all dress up in their robes and they'll all dance around um I don't, you know, what they're doing now is is not even like they're not even hiding their allegiances and their loves and their their, their, their what they think. Yeah, it's they're, totally it fucking too late. Slip. The mask has gone. Like the it mask, seems like yeah. there's no like there's absolutely like zero attempt right. to hide the agenda anymore. Which and is think what of is this. exciting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like yeah. and, but like this is this is the most dangerous part. Because when you reveal a fraudster, like that's when they are going to get violent and lash out. And this, yeah. this is why the next, the next months are, are going to be really crucial because like people have to stay peaceful and the next few years, it has to become abundantly clear that like humanity rejects that central control that they want to impart. But let's, let's just go back just a little bit um, and talk about like, what is it? What are the policies that the World Economic Forum are pushing 
um, at the moment, just so people get an idea of like what to look out for that that is in because what like, I, I spoke about this with a friend of mine, and I was being like, look. You know, this was before I'd really like looked in deeply at the the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and, and like really started to realize like just how influential these these people were. But it was when I was reading like Agenda 2030 and um, Operation Lockstep and the, the Spars pandemic thing. And just because like people kept mentioning it, I was curious, man, you know, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and I went and looked and, and I was like, well, I mean, they're saying that these things are going to happen and they're happening. Do you know what I mean? They're saying, this is the way I want the world to go. And then that's happening. And and I was speaking to a friend about it, and he was like, right, well, how, what, what percentage of the things that they say overall are happening? Because it could just be you've read the one thing that happened and there's 20,000 other white papers from billionaires and none of them have ever come to, to materialize. But then it's really begun to dawn on me and I've watched, especially in the, ma the past month or two, and you've seen it happen, you've seen what happened in Canada, where regardless of what people think of the truckers, like the government decided they can just turn your bank account off for having lawfully and donated to a what was then totally legal and peaceful protest. I mean, I'm pretty sure you still can't like count it as an illegal protest, but like even under the bounds of the very, very, very malleable, apparently, Canadian law, it was peaceful at the time when people were donating and they still had their bank accounts frozen. I mean, it's, it's like, stop now. They've been told to back off. But like, still, they tried that fucking shit. And then, okay. then Trudeau goes and talks about how it needs to be linked to this digital ID. Rishi Sunak, head of the Chancellor of the Exchequer, um, Majid Nawaz had talked about this on Joe Rogan. Um, he was talking about uh, Rishi Sunak coming out and being like, "Yes, we need the the we need you know the digital pound or whatever." The the U.S. government are saying they're looking heavily into cryptocurrencies and a digital dollar. I mean, as if they ha as if they haven't already. Like maybe yeah, not yeah. the Biden administration specifically. It's, it's ready. Listen, it's ready to go. It's yeah. Ready so go. I, like that, I don't doubt. Right. I I, I have no. Doubt. I mean, I still don't see the use case because I don't see people adopting it. You know, but mm -hmm. but I mean that th that will 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 kind of see in the end. But I mean, the thing. It's very that interesting. I, yeah, I want I want to try and like get people into the the space of like, what is their agenda, and then when you see it being touted by X Y Z world leader in the coming months, you can say, oh, hang on. This is literally them just saying, like, because the problem is, isn't it's not that, like, say they were coming to the people, right, and saying, mm -hmm. okay, we think this is the best way forward for humanity. We want this digital ID. We're going to make your, you know, digital currency. And, and this is what it means, right? And they're advocating for it and coming to the people and saying, we want to do this. And if you still want to vote for us, sweet. And you know what? If we, if, if they, they came and laid it all out and the, the country voted for it, probably kind of have to just be like well i mean this fucked up but i can I'm, i'll probably leave i mean but uh, you know at least that would be the people consenting to it and that's yeah, the part that really disturbs me is the it's it's like all these discussions have already happened they've okay, already decided what listen, the, where, where listen, the world's going you know i i i know what to say to you right now i know <laughs> what to say to you right now i do um i i and it is you know a lot of the past more than two years have been about um the theft of consent a theft of consent from people in many different ways and the whole idea of what the world economic forum is based on and what klaus schwab's ideology is is a stakeholder capitals uh, a capitalist system mm -hmm. stakeholder capitalist. do you system. want to explain what that is for people because that's not a term i'm about to okay 
And basically, where we currently have democracies that rule society and et cetera, and we vote and et cetera, well, that, that sort of power will shift up to the people who have a stake in society, people who are stakeholders, people who run countries, pe uh, companies, people who run businesses. Um, so you will have business uh, leaders who will decide the rules of society and how society goes. It's quite simply, your consent is the problem here. Your consent is a problem here. And to take that away, your stake of your consent has to be taken away. And that stake that you've got now is only built upon the financial, uh, is really built upon the financial system because that's as much stake as we got. We either have a house, a bit of land. We have a little bit of money in a bank account. Otherwise, we're just a mouth on the street. You know, we're, we're just a, 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 some, a we're, we're a rat to them. We're begging for food, you know. So we don't already, we have a very loose stake. We're very loose stakeholders in society. And their idea is you will own nothing in the future and you will be happy. Mm -hmm. That's them saying, we will take the stake you have Currently, that money, that financial security, that property, we will take it away from you and we will make sure that you'll be happy. And stakeholder capitalism is that. We don't have a stake anymore. They have all of it. And we've got to just be ruled by them. That's what the whole point is. And when you say, I'd run away if we had that vote, that globalist vote through infiltrated parliaments and governments all around the world, there is no place to run. Mm. It's a globalist agenda, yeah. a globalist unit that isn't just. But I don't even think people would buy. I, I think I, I like to genuinely believe that people wouldn't go for it. And yeah, I, maybe, I, I'm, maybe I'm right, but I just I think that there's enough people who would be opposed to that kind of control that would just like. You know, but it's... they can change. They can change people's consent using fear, using war, using viruses, using loads of ways to break down what your understanding of consent is and slowly take it away from you until you don't have the vote in a way that we knew it once upon a time. Because we don't. We saw during COVID suddenly elections were like, oh yeah, well, well, we can accept that we're not doing them the same exactly now. You know, it's a it's a pandemic now. It's a world war, mate. Maybe oh we'll we'll just have to be more restrictive about stuff in the future. It's only good for you. We did just have the pandemic, yeah. you know. They're taking away all of our stake in society. That that stakeholder capitalism yeah. is about the transferal of power, the last remaining uh, bits of power we've got amongst yeah. us to hold the powerful to account is taken that away, so the powerful can't be held to account. Yeah. And what you what you becomes is a techno fascism, like uh, uh, of um, a value that has never been written in a book. I've, I I couldn't even imagine what their eventual because really um, I I know Whitney Webb would say that they they you know they're looking uh, to create the singularity mm -hmm. they're looking that's what technocrats want yeah. they want the technocracy and we're at a stage now a really important stage in science where we're not we, we're pushing past the quantum level and eventually we'll have um um. Uh, they believe will have an artificial intelligence which will then roll on so fast that it will be its own 
consciousness and that uh, singularity will lead us in the future to being able to uh, guide us humans who are really stupid so they, we, they often say stuff like um, uh, we won't understand why we're being given these orders but we'll, we'll carry them out and it'll be best for us that's the kind of society we're heading towards and the technocratic rule is we don't understand why they're doing this we should just do it and it's the same as a dictatorship it's just a global dictatorship it's run by technology it, you, the reason why you see so much censorship you see so much uh, um, uh, so many political and biz big business in intelligence linked big big business coming mm -hmm. into the tech yeah. the tech scene and science scene that's, it's because that's important the, actually they, the intelligence yeah. links Oh man, well, I, I mean, the reason I've been banned for so long, and I can't mention a name on this, or this this program will be taken down. Okay. But one of like well, let's not do one that. of my yeah one <laughs> one one of my I, I promise you well, but one of my biggest um uh, first articles, one of the real breakers, um was the thing that got me censored the most. I wrote three of them. Um, she's an extremely powerful lady, and I can't talk about her, but uh, <laughs> I, you can find out. Are about they still her on, on? Are the on articles website. still on the online? Yeah, yeah. Go to my website. Go okay. to Johnny johnnyvedmore.com and you you'll see um, the the first three articles will be about this lady, um, extremely powerful in the world of uh, the technocrats of the technopoly of technology in general and owns and has ownership of uh, or a stake in nearly all of the big companies that you know the apps that you know and have literally founded those apps in many cases and has massive links to israeli um, intelligence including in business with ekud barak and jeffrey epstein and peter thiel Oh, Bad God. For this, her. Is, this is what I mean. All of the same names, just like all of the same names. It really irritates me. And this isn't conspiracy <laughs> theory. You can go check the business like records. You can go see the sources. I mean, this is, we have to. Like as independent... facts are not conspiracy theories. That's the yeah. thing that fucks me off, right? It's because, the... like, yes, there are conspiracy theories out there. There's some guy, like, I was in the sauna this morning talking to a guy who believes the earth is flat, right? I was like, I don't yeah, think yeah. the earth is flat, right? But he's like, well, there's a conspiracy to keep everyone like thinking the world is flat. And I'm like, right, okay, that is a conspiracy theory, right? That is him yeah, yeah. thinking based on not very much theoretically that this has happened because of what he thinks, right? Fine, man. Yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not disparaging him. If, I, if anything, I really enjoy chats with the flat earthers because you get, <laughs> yeah, um, I know, you I know, know. There's, it's always a bit of fun, you know, like, and yeah, but the. Like my, my point is essentially that like the, the facts, like the things we can go right here, this, this, this is provable. It's like, you see, if you quote that thing about um, the the virus, like the, the genetic code sequence that's currently been discovered in COVID-19's original strain, at least as far mm -hmm. as we know, and is patented four years ago by Moderna and the, the odds of it being by like not like just like purposefully put there is like one in like trillions yep, um, yep. and and you just go that's a fact it's like one of those things that i told you earlier i don't know what to make of that right yeah like yeah that, yeah, yeah I don't of course know, like that doesn't automatically like jump to oh someone deliberately released it, it it's like someone was working on a virus 
Like, yeah, like, that, like we it, know it show, they were. You it, know? it shows, but it shows something very important that leads you on to the next question. It shows you that it did not come from nature. And while all of the people who are the head epidemiologists in the world who work for all these trusts and foundations are all turning around or are funded by all these trusts and foundations like the Wellcome Trust, all shout out the the same the same words. Oh, this come from nature. This is zoology. This is this is it. Look, we've written up elaborate maps to show you how this came from nature and then there's a 12 nucleotide insert that doesn't come from nature in it so it's like all of their hard work and efforts cannot be cannot hide the truth but they can hide you talking about the truth mm -hmm. that's what they do and people have to be this is why you have to talk with people in your community and you have to let the conversations happen naturally uh, first of all you can't force people into an ideological shift at all or come out of a bubble i say an ideological shift because i mean that about coming out of a bubble that they're stuck in a lot of people use that conspiracy term as as a safe place it's a safe word to go back to when they don't understand the argument and they haven't actually looked at the, the i i knew a flat earther who was uh one of the most oh amazing mexican guys who could if if i didn't know or i didn't have confidence in my knowledge of the world he would have convinced me that the earth was flat you know there's some people who are really good out there who, are, who, who uh, of course they talk about this stuff but the people who believe it aren't really active within society in a way that makes them actually change anything mm -hmm. or be of effect so all of these these people who are, are built up as uh, who we're painted as people like me are painted as um are all these people who don't have power at all to speak and uh, it's really important we all speak and that means speaking to those people as well because those people have been given their ideologies and they only but they only believe a, a crazy thing because they've never been had a conversation where someone's challenged them in a good enough manner or made them think about something as simple as and this is what i said to this flat earther who i know this mexican he was very good very good at convincing you anything and i said it's unfalsifiable i can't believe something that's unfalsifiable and he said go to the article i said that's not good enough it's unfalsifiable you've got to bring me evidence what you're saying every single thing he said was unfalsifiable and he had never heard he, i don't think he'd ever understood the term unfalsifiable i had to explain what it meant to him and then he had to do mental loops and he understood his argument was in mental loops and he no longer spoke to me about it and i don't know <laughs> if he's still a flat earther but it's a case of putting people giving people a little bit of logic to use that isn't in done in a way that's like shooting them in the face or shooting their their ideas or what they believe in the face you know if you go up to someone and say you're a fucking idiot flat earther wanker then what you're going to get is someone someone like ignore you or they'll believe they're right because you haven't given them an argument you haven't given them an argument and and you know what 99.9999999999% probability the earth is round but god these guys have been telling us some stuff for a long time that i still keep that not 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 like probability just a tiny little probability that one day i'll go oh bollocks they've had us all <laughs> you know i the fact is is that we're really you floating on hear. the turtle like damn yeah it. <laughs> yeah it is turtles all the way down mate as, it's that's been honestly that has been my philosophy on life that it, and has helped me with my investigation oh my the philosophy is that it's turtles all the way down D just just keep looking <laughs> just keep looking you're sure you'll get somewhere oh. eventually yeah probably but, yeah.
So yeah, so I mean, we, we've we've talked quite a lot here about about yeah, World Economic Forum, what they want, who their who their leaders are. Um, people who want more information can go to to your website, Johnny. But the last mm-hmm. thing I then want to ask you, just like because we've already gone miles off the rails, so why not? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the uh, the last thing I want to ask is basically, how much do you buy the idea that the elite? I don't know how to describe it, but the elite are experimenting, cabal. the cabal, whatever you want to fucking call them, right? That there are portions of the wealthy and powerful who are experimenting, severely experimenting with like DMT, ayahuasca, uh, unbelievable amounts of psychedelic drugs in order to 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 both map the, the, the apparent world that we go to when we take said drugs and discuss with them in uh, discuss with these entities in high level meetings in uh, <laughs> in whatever like void of space that dimension that we end up seeing. Wow, you really you really get you know that question's lovely because I love Terence McKenna. Um, I find uh, a lot of uh, listening to someone like Alan Watts or Terence McKenna for hours and hours is something to do while you're like, if you're if you're just reading or something, having them on in the background every now and again, you zone out and you get told something where you go, what? What's going on? What's happening? Because you're being described this wonderful DMT experience that people have. You know, I've been desperate, desperate for the idea. I wish I, I, I wish the world was a little bit more um, uh, down to earth so we could get up to space. <laughs> Uh, I wish I, I, I wish that something like that was available for people uh, to try DMT, psychedel- psychedelics in general. I'm a big fan of mushrooms. I'm a big fan of um, LSD and things. I find that, that they're, of course, these things aren't for everybody, but most people take them in a way that doesn't suit them. Um, I, I, I do think there's a real important, uh, what, what these different chemicals do for you is take you out of, of the world, this reality you live in just for a moment and let you think about things in a different way that let you detach often like um, experiments with MDMA and things have shown, let you detach for emotionally mm-hmm. from uh, things that have been psychologically harmful to you. And I uh, myself went through a point where I was at the lowest before, before I actually got the guts to do uh, this investigative work, I had hit the lowest point and it was really um, a, a decision to say, okay, uh, there's a choice now. I, I had ended up a point where I was on lots of really terrible pills, morphines, antidepressants, all sorts of stuff. Um, and I was burning myself out on purpose uh, because there was nothing nothing visible anymore. The music scene, which I love so much, had been completely destroyed. And like Ed, all, all my, my friendship groups had, had split away because there was nothing in Cardiff happening anymore. They'd all become introvert in some way and, you know, had suddenly had different di- differences brexit was happening and stuff you know you saw you 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 see lots of things happen over that next five years that were terrible to watch like how society split away but i was lucky enough to go through this experience where i said okay instead of like something like suicide or 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 anything i'm gonna do two things i'm gonna um suicide by investigative journalism (laughs) (laughs) so expose everything and wait for them to come and get me come on you can do it and also uh, have a break for a while, take um, uh, a shitload of mushrooms, 
look inside what is the third eye spend a lot of time listening to music poetry reading thinking and taking time also not only how much sober to actually think about things in different ways and try and understand things in different ways and and all of these things have massive benefits and you know what it's only going to be a matter of time before uh these people upstairs think that oh actually this could be a really good way to manipulate society and use it in some way to manipulate because they use good things to manipulate you because they tried that i think they tried that in the 60s and it kind of backfired on them (laughs) yeah i know i wrote about that in a portland down article i did i did a one just before my welcome five one i did one about called the ideological cloud of portland down about the human experimentations over a hundred year period yeah they created a whole bunch of anti-war hippies like they they let yeah yeah you know what i mean like that's the complete opposite you you can still people can go into youtube put in um portland down lsd experiments and watch the men of the army the british army me trundle around two days of exercises where they didn't um take any lsd and they didn't know when it was going to happen and then a day where they did and it was like mental they all went they all they, you know they saw what's the, this the, called the fact... i gotta check this out oh just put in uh portent down lsd experiments okay. um and it, it, it it's um, a brilliant film reel uh, of the time showing you the lsd experiments it's on youtube and everything uh you can find it linked into the port and down article I wrote as well because it's an extremely important moment in history where they're experimenting using these drugs on people um, all of these ideas of do you think the elites will experiment in some way what you've discovered is you go back in history and you They've find that they already it. have yeah, yeah, and they, yeah. they're well ahead of us they're well ahead of us what they're looking is for ways to make us more malleable um, and, and so you don't keep... you don't buy that the idea that they're trying to escape this world like you don't you don't buy the, the like not because <laughs> That they're they're, yeah that they're basically trying to build themselves like a a a, like a technology based breakaway civilization that is just going to be the ruling overlords of all of us and that they're trying to I'm not saying I believe this right by the way Um, yeah no no this this is getting closer to reality with the idea of transhumanism the idea of installing technology and have all these things and they do have this idea that they want to experiment on us for that so they they can get it better so they can have that transhumanism and that transhumanism will give them extreme benefits in uh, keeping control and power over the people who don't have access to that technology so yes we are approaching a moment where they could fight towards that and i think there may be elements of it now i always think that there's probably a big nice big uh installation in the middle of the ocean somewhere where no one knows about and no planes fly over that probably a lot of the elites go to for their little meetings you know i i, I wouldn't go i i wouldn't i i, I wouldn't uh, i i wouldn't put it past them to be planning an escape to space uh, um i also wouldn't put past them uh, past them planning to send us all to space uh so they can have <laughs> the earth for the don't have the fuel for that yeah uh, but the thing is is that it's <laughs> going to be i i know lots of people on the alternative worlds as well who talk about like aliens and the like and the potential of contact and you know this is a, a brave new world and people are talking about these sort of things but i think yeah, that's man. because Put technology me in touch. Is... Get, get me, let me get some yeah. on the show <laughs> 
Well, I'll t- some of them are really interesting. Some of them are really, really interesting. And do you know what, what you find when you talk to people? Most of them are really nice people and really kind and really want to know information on both sides, but usually get pushed off as being silly uh, in their ideas. But when you actually listen to their ideas, their ideas come from a universal origin that have often been written by some of the best authors, spoken about by some of the best speakers. You know, uh, ideas that are stuck within our mind because they, they're leading us to our next generation, to our eventual death destination and that's all of these technocrats and people they have a vision um, for what this future looks like and it really will be terrible for us if we let them take us to space and beyond we will be detaching from humanity in more ways than one and detaching from the earth in more ways than one because these people aren't the people to lead us these people aren't the people to bring us together these are the people who are trying to tear us apart all of the time so we've got to realize that we need a complete change a shift in how we view our next step as a human race of becoming transhuman or space creatures or whatever you know of <laughs> thousands of years down the line we're all we're, our, our ancestors will all be a thousand years old by that time sitting around with their lizard skin laughing about the fact of what we used to talk about on <laughs> earth you know i mean the future who knows what it's going to look like and it could look incredible but these guys have been doing work on envisioning it for a long time and what they envision always ends up in some form of dystopia for us and some sort of benefit for them and so i do believe that they these guys are heading towards a transhumanist agenda because really every single wealthy person wants the same basic thing the one thing they want to live forever yeah more or time at least to spend their fucking hordes can. of money yeah, of course, Basically. of course. And who wouldn't want that? If you've got all of the, the, the finance, you've got all of the thing, you could do whatever you want. Why wouldn't you want all of If only I had more time. It's the it's cry of the human, you know? It's the cry of the human. It's what happens once you've got consciousness. Before that, we don't know. So <laughs> we pe- don't people should, care. people like anyone who re- really like thinks that they want that should go and read some of the stuff about the Lord of the Rings and the early, the early book, the, the, what was it? The Cimmerillion, which is yeah. just reads like a, a history book, which is fine if you're just slowly making your way through it. But if you're trying to read it, it's, it was like a week on a yeah. beach, basically. I just like, <laughs> like, st- I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stick it out because I'm determined God, that I yeah, get going, yeah, you know? No. <laughs> It but, sounds sounds a little like um yeah it sounds a little like Gary Zukov's Seat of the Soul, which mm. the first I had to read the first three paragraphs over and over and over. Uh, sorry, sorry, first three chapters for about a year before I could read the rest of it. Like it was unbelievable. I just kept going back to the beginning every time and going. Uh, I just don't. Have, I gotta. I gotta understand this eventually. But yeah, go on. Sorry, Lord of the Rings, because a yeah, lot yeah, of our but, life nowadays is yeah. is like a fantasy novel yeah. that Tolkien would have brought up. Yeah, but, yeah. So like the the he talks very early on about like when 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 like um oh it's uh luvatar or eru uh the god figure in lord of the rings he creates the elves um and they have a more they have eternal life and they're immortal and then he creates man who like it, it's both painted as like the curse and the gift of mortality in that mm-hmm. if you have all of the time of the universe in which to do things you'll never do anything but when yes. we've got that that slow tick at the Grim Reaper creeping up behind us, like it, it it's uh, incredibly motivating. Um, yeah. So I think it's it's both. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, and, I I don't know if I'd want to live forever. I like I used to say I wanted to live forever, but now I'm not sure, man. Like I I think 
I'd be happy with a hundred and I, that's the goal. Yeah. I, do you know what? I think it's a case of uh, live each day. Really. We, if we keep, we end up like them. If we keep looking at the future and worrying about our death and our mortality, we end up wanting to kill everybody for some reason. That's what humans do. We, we obsess about things and death is something that's a great obsession. Humans do it all the time. And in that obsession, lots of people ride the road towards death early and they cause death of other people because they, they become obsessed with that i mean we are obsessed we are humans who are obsessed by loads of different things uh death is the main one and especially especially for rich people they got they got all the reason to live they got all the reason to live we understand it fully well but right now i mean no, I, not I, all I, the reasons you know yeah but, that's yeah, the problem yeah. for them i guess most yeah. of the time but anyway uh johnny we'll we could probably ramble on here for for many 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 hours but it's yeah it's been yeah we've done more than more than an hour and a half so um, yeah cool, cool so i think we're that's probably a good place to leave it with plenty more for you to come back on the show when you know i move to london we get the studio set up um in the next couple of months i'd love to i'd love to that sounds wonderful man yeah so everybody johnny vebmore thank you very much man uh johnny vebmore.com all the links are in the description below is there anything you want to say specifically point people towards before we do the, the end here? hey hey listen i always say the same thing now at the end i think it's, it's really important be kind to people talk to people be patient understand that you want to tell them something but they're not ready to hear it so tell them other things tell them about yourself tell them who you are okay get to know people and be kind because that's the only way that eventually when it becomes us versus them in such a way that's so obvious we'll already have the 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 uh communities built up to be able to survive and that's what we've got to do well that's a beautiful message thanks very much man rocking Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. If you want to leave us a comment, that would be awesome. Please like, share, subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple, please leave us 